0: Greetings from New Zealand and uh, our little assembly in Christchurch in particular. And we're going to turn to the scriptures. i just get a few things going here. Alright, so we'll turn to Revelation chapter 21. Don't panic. Um, Not going into uh, great reams of prophecy or anything tonight. Just a couple of verses. Revelation 21 and verse 24. Uh title of this talk is um, The Wall. So I want to talk about the wall. I want to talk about the division that Jesus Christ said that he was going to bring upon this earth and uh, something that's not um, uh, particularly um, maybe politically correct. Talk about divisions and, and walls. People don't really like that sort of thing these days. But we see it's a very important aspect of uh, the kingdom of God. Here in Revelation 21 and verse 24, we see a little description of the kingdom of God, and uh, this is, uh, of course, in the vision of Revelation, talks about the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and uh, gives an incredible description, and it's, it's all uh, uh, wonderful symbols of uh, streets of gold, clear like glass and uh, gemstones throughout the foundations and, and gates made of pearls and all sorts of wonderful things, a very glorious sort of a sight. And it says in verse 24, The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honour into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honour of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, and neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So it describes this uh, uh, this great city and it describes that it has a wall around it. It's a very high wall, it's a very substantial wall. And uh, of course, as we know in the, the old times, um, and the, the type of warfare that they used to have, they used to have a wall around the city. The wall was there for defence and fortifications. It was there to keep the evil out. And it was there to keep the city safe. And uh, the Lord talks about the new Jerusalem, and his kingdom, and he talks about it uh, having this wall around it, and he says everything that's good, everything that's glorious, everything that's wonderful is going to come into the into this city or into this kingdom. He says all the all the riches, all the glory, all the blessing of this world, the very best of this world is going to enter in. We sort of we don't fully understand exactly what the situation is going to be. We're we'll ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ, and it's going to be a wonderful setup. But we don't fully understand exactly how it's all going to work. But it, it says on the other hand that there will in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, or anything that's an abomination or makes a lie, just those that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So it is a city, it has walls and it has gates. And so the wall is not something that once you're in, that's it, you can't get out or or other things can't come in. The wall is there to make sure the good stuff gets in and the bad stuff gets out and uh, or doesn't get in in the first place. And uh, so that's a bit of a description of um, God's idea for us and, and God's idea for the uh, for the kingdom. It also has quite a bit to do with the, the church and the situation that we are now in. Uh, in Christchurch, we are at the moment, we're hiring a school hall And just across the road from the school hall is a mainline church. And um, we didn't plan it that way, but that's how it's ended up. On this particular church, they have a big sign outside their church and it says, Church Without Walls. And uh, I'm always tempted to put up one on our side that says, Church With Foundations. Um, Because I think they. I've had a talk to the minister there on a couple of occasions and exchanged a few emails And I think they're lacking in some of the scriptural foundations. And of course today it's very trendy to sort of say, you know, you're a church without walls and it's it's sort of got this indoor-outdoor flow sort of thing in a spiritual sense. But really that's not what the Lord is looking for. He doesn't want us to be sort of in equilibrium with the world. He wants a situation, he wants a city, he wants a kingdom where the good stuff is protected and it is protected and it's surrounded and it's and it's uh, it's looked after there it's in safety and as a result of that many wonderful things can happen inside and we're going to have a look at a few thoughts along those lines um, I'm a graphic artist by trade and um, been doing that for a few decades now and along the way I've had various jobs and some to do with advertising and other things and uh, Uh, I've read a few books about, you know, what you should do. I'm sort of self-taught what you should do in design over the years and um, I remember reading one by a particular lady and it was quite a good book and she made one point uh, at the beginning of her book and and, uh, some of the important design principles. She said the first thing that you really got to learn is you got to learn what to separate and what to put together. So if you've got a lot of information, and I used to do some big double-page spreads for a newspaper with lots of advertising information on it, you've got to somehow sort of get that into an order where it actually makes sense to people and they can sort of take in the message very quickly. Um, If you don't, and it's just a mishmash, they sort of look at it, they can't be bothered, and they turn the page very, very quickly. And uh, so in the Lord too, it's sort of, you know, one of the things we, we learn first of all when we come along is what to separate or what to get rid of out of our life and what we should be hanging on to, what we should be separating from and what we should be fellowshipping with. And, um, you know, think about that. thats We tend to be doing that for most of our life and most of our walk in the Lord is refining that particular thought. Um it talks about Jesus Christ and how that before... Uh, he would become an adult, that he would uh, go through a life. He was born in the flesh and he would learn, it says, to refuse the evil and to choose the good. So it's something that we all have to learn. We grow in wisdom as we come to the Lord and we grow in the things of the Lord. We learn what to refuse, we learn what is evil and we learn what is good. There's those two aspects to it. We've got to know what to throw away and we've got to know what to keep. Um, I was talking to Grant Hugo, uh, who picked me up from the airport uh, at tea time, and uh, uh, we were talking about some of his photos and how that he takes these photos and he then crops out, you know, the areas that he doesn't want. He ends up with some really amazing, beautiful fo- photographs there that he's got hanging around his walls. Um, and I was saying it's very similar. I was actually going to use that thought in the talk tonight because um, I read about a a quote from a famous sculptor, and apparently it was Michelangelo, but I don't think there's any proof that it really was. But uh, apparently somebody asked him once how he made these amazing sculptures, how he got them so perfect and so lifelike. And uh, he said it's very, very simple. He said, you know, if you want to sculpt an elephant, he said, you just start with a huge block of stone and then you just knock away anything that doesn't look like an elephant. It's very simple, that's all you're going to do. Just get rid of the stuff that doesn't look like an elephant and when you're left over you've got an elephant and it's perfect. And of course you start off, you knock off the big bits that are very much not part of the elephant and then you refine it and you get down to this the engraving and all the rest of it and get it nice and perfect and you take away everything. The trouble with the old-fashioned sort of sculpting is that if you take something away too much you can't put it back in again. Um so you've got to be very careful what you do there. Um, we have, you know, in this world today, we have a sort of situation where man is turning things around. He's, he's wanting, as I said, Jesus Christ um, had to learn to refuse the evil and to choose the good. Mankind is turning things around, as the scripture says he will, and uh, what is evil he wants to call good, and what is good he wants to call evil. And we we find that, Man wants to, in some cases, he wants to unite things. The Lord wants to put a wall and he wants to put a division between good and bad. Man wants to unite them. On the other hand, uh, when God wants to unite something, mankind wants to divide. He seems to want to do quite the opposite to what uh, uh, is really needed. I was reading a book last year and it was uh, just a science book and it was about life. And it was just about the the basic... um, chemistry of life and just how wonderful it is that, uh, you know, when you look into it, how complex it is, how amazing it is. Uh, The man who wrote the book was not a religious person, he was just a scientist, but he was looking at particularly advanced life like ourselves and and some of the animals and the uh, more advanced creatures, if you like, and he was just saying how incredible it is that such a thing could have come to be. And one of the things he looked at was the cell And he particularly looked at the thought of the cell wall. I'm just going to give you a little quote here, a couple of paragraphs from this book. And I want you to think about the cell as, if you like, a a city. It's very similar in the sense that it has a wall around it and what's going on inside is something of a higher order of order and a higher order of energy and information and function and, and that sort of thing. And um, he says here, the chemistry of life always takes place in a special environment, protected from the outside world. That special place is the cell, a tiny bag of watery liquid containing all of the requirements for life. Within the cell, DNA and RNA can go about their business of making copies of themselves and providing the instructions for the manufacture of protein molecules. This is the essential chemistry of life but it has to be contained in a secure environment. The best way to appreciate the importance of the cell is to look at the role of enzymes, the proteins that encourage the essential chemical reactions of life to take place. Enzymes are not particularly rugged molecules. If they get too hot or too cold, they fall apart. If their surroundings are too acid or too alkaline, they fall apart. If they fall apart, they can no longer do their job and life stops. So they have to operate inside a protective wall, a special kind of wall which allows some molecules in but keeps others out, and which allows some molecules out but keeps others in. This wall is called a semi-permeable membrane and it is the wall that surrounds the bubble of a cell. One of the defining characteristics of life, perhaps the defining characteristic, is that the region where life processes go on inside the cell is not in chemical equilibrium with its surroundings. Equilibrium equals death. Life maintains itself in a non-equilibrium state. The American biologist Lynn Margulis sums this up by saying life is a self-bounded system. So we think about the cell and uh, they, you know, about 100 years ago or less than 100 years ago, they thought that the cell, which is sort of the basis of all living things, was just a blob of jelly. They really didn't think it was much more than that, with a few chemicals in it and that sort of thing. But as they have looked into things, they have realised it is an incredibly complex, uh, functioning little city. It uh, They talk about it being uh, like a chemical factory. As a matter of fact, they say that it's not only a chemical factory, it's like a chemical industry. And uh, within that little cell, there's more chemical manufacturing going on and, and such complex manufacturing going on that it is is probably more complex than all the chemical factories that we have in the world in one little cell. And it is quite incredible what uh, what the Lord has done there. But for that to exist and for all those glorious and wonderful things, for that life to exist and to continue, it has to be protected by a wall which keeps it from being just sort of spread out into the world and the rest of the world coming in. And when you have that situation, this sort of indoor-outdoor flow, the, the cell without walls, so to speak, you end up with death. Uh, you can't have a, a situation where everything's the same inside as it is outside. And again, you know, within the cell you have this higher level of order, you have this higher level of function, you have this higher level of, well, we have life, and, and, and the scientists really don't understand what life is. And uh, it's something completely different. Of course, within the church, it's exactly the same. That's what the Lord has said. He said, in this world, you know, it's death, it's darkness. If you want life, then I have to put you into a special situation. And he has to give us his word. And the word divides between what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, what we should be associated with and what we should not be associated with. And unless we have that wall... Uh, And really, the Word of God, it's a wall that we have up here, and uh, we we define what we're doing according to the Word of God, and of course the Holy Spirit, and the the Lord brings the Holy Spirit into us, he gives us life within uh, this situation, this wonderful church which we have. And again, we don't want to be in a situation where we end up in equilibrium. We think of, uh, if you're not aware of what equilibrium means, if you think of a, a glass of hot water and another on the other side a glass of cold water and you pour them together into another glass. For a while you're going to have some hot water there and some cold water but after a while they mix together and they're all the same. That goes into a thermal sort of equilibrium. And um, in that situation, of course we know what the Bible says about that, you take the hot, you take the cold, you end up with lukewarm and that is death, that's no good. And again, if you take all the molecules of life and you mix them with the molecules out there, you don't protect them, they break apart, they fall apart, and uh, you have no life. So the Lord wants to make a difference between the life and the non-life. He wants to make a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And We'll turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. It's hard to talk about a wall without looking at the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 4 and verse 1. Um, this was the time where the, the Jews had to go back after being in Babylon in captivity and they were given the chance to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild it. So first thing they did when they went back to Jerusalem, uh, which of course had been razed to the ground and burned, and so had the wall, first thing they did was they had to build the wall because there were many enemies who didn't want them to build this wonderful city again. We read in verse 1, it says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth, and he took great indignation, and he mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria, and he said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was with him, and he said, uh, even that which they build. If a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone walls. So they were mocking at the attempts of uh, of the people of Israel there to build and to rebuild the wall uh, around Jerusalem. And Nehemiah says in verse 4, Hear, O our God, uh, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So he built the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth, and they conspired all of them to come together and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Now when we divide ourselves from this world, or the Lord divides us, through the word of God and people look at our lives and they see our lives are changing and they see that the sort of things that we used to associate with that the breaches are being made up and we're, we're starting to brick over the wall and a lot of things that we were involved with before we're no longer involved with and we're sort of raising up a wall in, in certain areas according to the word of God and they get very angry at that particular thought. They want us to be together. They want to be able to come into us, and they want us to go out to them. Uh, But again, as we look into the Word and we grow in the things of the Lord, we realize that if we want to be part of God's kingdom, that there is a wall, there is a division. What is life is not the same as death, and what is good is not the same as, as evil. And if we're going to follow the Lord, we can't follow the world. If we're going to be a friend of the Lord, we can't be a friend of the world. And there are things we must disfellowship ourselves from, and there are things of course, in the Lord that we must fellowship ourselves with, so we begin to our life begins to revolve around the things of the Lord and we're involved in the meetings, involved in the fellowship, involved in doing the Lord's work, and other things that were important to us once begin to drop off. and as we see here, uh, they were very upset when they realized that the wall was being made up and I guess through our life. Uh, We are constantly doing this. We are building the wall. As we're seeing things clearer from the word of God, we recognise, hey, I've got a bit of a hole in my walk in the Lord over here. I need to sort of block that up. It's where I've had problems before. It's something that's causing trouble. The world is getting in there, or I'm sort of slipping out now and again into the world. I need to fix that wall up there. And you start to make up the breaches as you go on in the things of the Lord. You grow in strength. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, that wall gets more and more complete as you go along and you learn things that you need to uh, uh, to build. Um, we won't go there, but a couple of uh, later on where they put the uh, wall together and everything was joined up and they actually finished the wall. It talks about uh, Nehemiah and the, and the people of Israel rejoicing over the wall. I'll just read you a couple of verses from chapter 12. It says, and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, psalteries and with harps. So when they dedicated the wall, it was a, it was a great joy. It was a wonderful thing, something to be jumping up and down about and to have great gladness and singing, everything else. They rejoiced in the completion of that wall their separation from what was outside, from the enemy, from those who wanted to destroy the city. Now, they hadn't even begun to build the city at that stage, but that was the next step. In uh, Again, in Nehemiah 12, it says, And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. In God's eyes, the gates and the wall are a pure thing, they're a wonderful thing, and uh, they're a very necessary thing to keep the world out. Nehemiah chapter 13, we'll go there in verse 15. It's a funny little story, this one. of After they had started to get the city built and of course the wall was built and they had the gates there, they found that some of the people of Judah began doing the things that they used to do that got them in trouble in the first place. And they still were not following the Lord's Sabbath or the commandments of the Lord in various aspects And they'd sort of begun to mingle again with the people of the world. And We read in verse 15, it says, In those days saw I uh, in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses, as also wine, grapes and figs and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold uh, victuals. And there dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. So there were a lot of merchants from outside who wanted to come into the city, and they wanted to buy and sell and trade, and they were doing it against the commandments of the Lord because they were coming in particularly on the Sabbath day, and uh, it was becoming a situation as it was when Jesus Christ uh, was in the temple, and he said, you know, you have turned... The temple into a den of thieves you've brought in your your money changing your and your uh, uh your buying and your selling and everything else and it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves and robbers and of course the Lord cast them out on that particular day with a lot of zeal behind what he did. Nehemiah also had the same sort of reaction when he realized that the city was being corrupted in verse seventeen it says. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not it your fathers thus, and uh, did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I at the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. They didn't give up easily. Again, as they do today, they sort of want to open everything to 24-7 and uh, any way that they can. They sort of want to get some opportunity to buy and sell. And uh, so he closed the gates against them. They don't take no for an answer lightly. And this world doesn't take no for an answer likely either. You have to be fairly firm. So he not only had to shut the gates and set servants at the gates to watch that nobody opened them, but um, we see that in spite of that, for a couple of weeks, um, the merchants kept coming back and they thought, they thought they would camp outside the walls and they would stay there just on the odd, uh, you know, on the odd chance that somebody might sort of sneak over or open the door or... Or, um, you know, they might have some opportunity. And the world is a bit like that. It wants to camp outside, you know, the church that the Lord has created and, uh, His kingdom. And they're quite ready to sell us all sorts of things of this world. Uh, we have to be firm. And Nehemiah was firm in verse 21. It says, Then I testified against them and I said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. And from that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. So sometimes it's not enough just to abstain from things. People push and people want you to maybe take that drink or get involved in some sort of activity. Sometimes you've got to turn around and say, look, I'm doing these things because the Lord has asked me to do these things. My life is different now. I am changed. I have a testimony. I will uphold it. And this is what you should be doing too. You sort of have to get your Bible out and show them a few scriptures and say, these are the reasons I'm doing these things and I've had a wonderful experience from the Lord and I've been filled with the Holy Spirit and you can have that too. And uh, sometimes, of course, as it says there, well, from that time forth came they no more. Um, sometimes you turn people off. Uh, but we've got to still preach the gospel. Hopefully some people will listen and they will actually respond to these things. But again, sometimes we've got to be a little bit firm with the things of the world, and sometimes with the people of the world as well. and um, So he basically had to say to them, go away, and uh, eventually they did. Now, as I said before, the first thing that they built was the wall, and then they built the city. One comes first, and again, in those days where you had enemies without, and they were looking to destroy all the wonderful things that you had within, uh, you had to protect it. And so that's maybe the first thing you do. Um, I don't know if here, uh, when when my boys were going to high school, they brought home some comic books uh, called the Bone Comics. Anybody here read the Bone Comics? No. Oh, what an incredibly illiterate lot! These are wonderful comics. Actually, they're. Um, I've always liked comics, um, but these are actually sort of more books type comics, and they're, uh, adults sort of get an interest out of them as well. They're quite funny, uh, but they're also quite a little bit quirky, a little bit strange. Anyway, in, I I read one of these books and um, followed the story through a little bit at one stage, and it had this little scene in one of these books, which I've always sort of remembered, and it fits this particular story very well. So I'll try to explain it to you, you've never Read the books, but in this particular book, it sort of revolves around um, a grandmother and her granddaughter. The granddaughter is a young woman, and the grandmother is a is an older lady but this uh, this grandmother is a she used to be the queen of a kingdom, and uh, the granddaughter doesn 't know it, but she is the princess, and she has been brought up on a farm away from her city and from her kingdom in secret and one day it gets revealed to her that she actually has this inheritance and she uh is the the princess of this particular city and kingdom and her grandmother is the old queen and her grandmother is a a very tough old lady she can outrun anybody and she tends to sort of um, get involved in fights with uh, with armies and enemies and this sort of thing. She'll give them an uppercut and a, and a right hook and she's she's pretty tough. And uh, she, she sort of wins half the battles by herself. So as I say, it's a comic, so there's some strange things that happen in this comic, but it's quite funny. But on this particular occasion, they find themselves, an, an enemy comes into the land and uh, they have to flee to the city. So they go into this wonderful city and it's got this wall around it and uh, they're up in the tower and the enemy surrounds the city and while they're up there and they're looking at and this girl is uh, looking at the city her mother has died a long time ago and her mother was the queen at one stage she's just finding all this out and she's looking at all the things in the city and her grandmother is explaining all the things that her mother has built and she's pointing out the gardens and she's pointing out the museums and she's pointing out the schools and she's pointing out the art galleries and all the wonderful things that are within the city And she is blown away by this, that her mother did all these things. And she's looking at the city and she says to her grandmother, she said, that's wonderful grandma, and what did you build? And tough old grandma says, the wall. I built the wall that surrounds the city. And the daughter look, the granddaughter looks out of the tower and sees this vast enemy out there, Wanting to get in to this wonderful city and destroy it, and the only thing that's holding them back of course is the wall which old granny built and again, you've got to value the wall because the wall helps the good stuff to stay alive inside. and so again, you know when we go through the scriptures and we sort of point out the things that we need to be involved with and the things we shouldn't be involved with, that's God's wall, that's God's division. And uh, that's very important. I've run out of time here. I was going to tell you about the uh, the story in uh, go to the story in Acts chapter twenty. We won't go there. But it's the story where Paul was up in the if you know the story, he was up in the the third loft, and he was preaching the gospel to a lot of people there. It's, a, it's another story about a wall, but sort of from the other side of things. And he had a young man there who was sitting in the window. So there's a wall there. There's a hole in the wall. And he's sitting on the hole. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of lights there in the room and they're hearing the gospel preached as Paul's preaching the gospel. And this young man falls asleep and he falls, three flights, falls into outer darkness. It's midnight outside. It's light in the room where the gospel is, where they're all gathered together, but he falls out through the wall. And so the moral of that story, Paul fortunately went out there and he he brought him back in and raised him back to life, and everybody was very happy and it had a happy ending. But the thought there is that we should be in the middle of the room, and we should be at the feet of the one who's preaching the word of God. You know, as as Mary was with Jesus Christ, we want to be in close. You want to be not sitting on the wall or near the hole in the wall. Don't let there be a hole in the wall in your life that you could slip out because you may not be raised back to life. You'll fall into darkness. You'll fall into death. There's no guarantee that you'll find your way back. And so we've got to make sure that we, we stay in close. You want to be up there in the middle uh, where everybody is surrounding you. That way, if you fall asleep, the person alongside can give you a big dig in the ribs and wake you up again. You know, they get the scriptures out and say, What are you doing? You know, you're getting involved with these things, you left all that behind. Don't go back. You know, don't be, as the scripture says quite graphically, don't be like the dog or the pig that sort of go back to their uncleanness. You have now been cleaned, make sure you stay that way. Um, just we'll finish Luke chapter twelve, just one verse there. And verse fifty one. A lot of people don't understand that Jesus Christ would say such things as he does here. In verse 51 he talks about he came to send a fire upon the earth. And In verse 51 he says, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. And he goes on to talk about the Father should be divided against the Son and the Son against the Father, etc. And this is not most people's comprehension of Jesus Christ. In one of the other Gospels he actually puts it, I came not to bring peace but a sword. And he's talking about the sword of the Word of God which brings that division, which erects that wall, and which we must have in our life. And again... um, It's a very important recognition there that the Lord has come to bring division. He knows this world is evil. He knows it's not going to change. He is forming a wall for us and we have come into that wonderful safe place where all the glory of God is present and life can exist and wonderful things can go on there and uh, we must uh, value, if you like, the wall that makes it possible. And all the people said.